Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is July 6th. In 1924, Johnstown, Colorado had seen its share of outsiders move into the area, but one outsider, one that traveled more than 150 miles to get here, will celebrate its 90th year since its arrival. A meteor, which scientists now believe came from the solar system's second most massive asteroid belt called Vesta, crashed through the Earth's atmosphere, splitting into a shower of meteorites with pieces landing in Johnstown, Millican, Mead, and other surrounding communities. A meteorite made headlines on July 6th of 1924 when a funeral procession was interrupted by falling interstellar rocks. One of the meteorites, weighing around 20 pounds, slammed two feet into the Earth near Dilly Chapel in a hamlet called Elwell, which has since been incorporated into Johnstown. Hundreds of Lovelanders thought, or saw and heard something Sunday afternoon which they had never seen or heard before and perhaps never will again, the reporter Harold said in an article published July 7th. With a rumble of a distant battle and the flare of a star shell, a meteor streaked across the sky. Anyone who saw it, of course, passed away by now, but we have some accounts from some people who were children, said Artist Briggs, volunteer from the Johnstown Historical Society. Some people thought it was the end of the world because it smelled like sulfur in the loud sonic boom. The people at the funeral saw it fall and create a crater and went and dug it up, the Denver Museum of Nature, Nature and Science Curator of Geology, James Hagedorn, describing the intense sounds and sights that Lovelanders of 90 years ago must have experienced. To me, that's a pretty cool event to witness. The July 8, 1924 edition of the Fort Collins Express Courier described it as staccato cracks like the noise of a machine gun as a visitor hurled through the atmosphere, breaking up in an LL baseball game in a stampede. Vesta, the brightest asteroid in the solar system, was named after mythical virgin Roman goddess of home and hearth. It is currently one of six celestial bodies humans have physically samples of and in 1807 became the fourth asteroid to be identified. Many meteorites come from Earth or Moon or from origins of those bodies, Hagedorn said. There are around 100 meteor chunks from Mars, which are pretty rare. Vesta meteorites are even more rare. It's only been in the last couple of decades it was determined that Johnstown meteorite must have formed under similar conditions that Vesta is thought to have been created. As a protoplanet with layers similar to that of Earth, the asteroid has been linked to the meteorite because of its unique composition. They did a very good job identifying the composition back in the day. What they didn't know was that the composition meant, Hagedorn said. Interpreting that data has only happened in the last couple of decades. The specimen falls to the Crondite class of meteorites, which made up only 8% of meteorite samples recovered in the world. Increasing the rarity of the famed Johnstown meteorite is the fact that there were witnesses to the meteorites falling. It's a local pride and a sighted fall. Most meteorites fall but aren't seen. This was seen by possibly hundreds of people, Hagedorn said. Another thing about this meteorite is that it's pretty. When you cut and polish meteorites, it's a window into its composition. Hagedorn said, Imagine a granite countertop, but instead of grays and blacks, it has green, yellow-orange, and olive-colored crystals. That's a potent color combo. While a hiker who happens upon something as visually striking as that would certainly harvest the rock, Hagedorn said, Most people who run across Vesta meteorites in the area probably wouldn't even notice it. When a meteor falls to Earth, that sucker burns. It looks like it's covered in black scales like burnt crust. 
he said, referring to what is known as fusion crust. Keep your eyes peeled. There are probably hundreds of pieces still out there in the field today. Anyone who comes across anything they suspect might be a meteorite is encouraged to send photos to jwhagadorn at dmns.org, where the museum staff can help identify it. The Denver Museum of Nature and Science was one of the first museums in North America to study meteorites. Pieces of the meteorite can be seen on display in the Denver Museum at the Parish House Museum, 701 Charlotte Street in Johnstown. In 1952, London's trams trundled into history. After nearly a decade of service, the tram has made its final appearance in London. The very last tram to rumble across the capital streets arrived at Southeast London's New Cross Depot in the early hours of this morning. It was driven by John Cliff, Deputy Chairman of London Transport Executive, who began his career as a tram driver. Trams have carried banners all week proclaiming, proclaiming last tram week, and special tickets carrying the same message have been produced. Conductors punched souvenir tickets and enthusiasts drove or cycled alongside the tram, car number 1951, for the duration of the journey. The tram's journey was a long time extended by almost three hours by crowds cheering Londoners who surrounded it along the route from Woolwick to New Cross. At New Cross Depot, the tram was greeted by the LTE chairman, Lord Latham. In the name of Londoners, I say goodbye, old tram, Lord Latham declared as the vehicle entered the tram shed. The first electric trams appeared on London streets in 1901, following the fur, following on from horse-drawn trams, which were introduced in 1861. However, by the 1930s, trams were seen as noisy and dangerous to other road users. In 1931, a commission of inquiry recommended trams be replaced by trolleybuses, electrified vehicles which did not need tracks, but many trams were temporarily reprieved by the outbreak of the Second World War. The final phasing out of trams follows the closure of the Kingsway Tram Tunnel three months ago. The tunnel, which began in Kingsway and extends under the Strand, was opened by in 1906 and housed two tram stations, Idwich and Holborn. By 1952, trams had already been phased out in several English cities, but some of London's old trams were sent to Leeds where they remained in service until 1959. Ten years after the demise of the London trams, trolleybuses followed them into oblivion. In the 1970s, much of the Kingsway tram tunnel was converted to road use. During this conversion, Aldwych Station was destroyed, but Holborn Tram Station remains intact in an unused portion of the tunnel. Over the years, trams have regained popularity in some quarters as an environmentally friendly means of mass transport. Manchester has a tram system since the mid-1990s, and in 2000, a combined tram-light railway system started running in Croydon in southeast London. And from David Grant, I was there. I was... 10 when the last trams ran in London in 1952. I lived in northwest London, an area without trams, and my father took me out for joy rides on the trams, which were largely in south London. We would travel to Holborn to catch a Route 33 or 35 tram and travel through the Kingsway subway, emerging in the embankment, and ride to the end of the line in south London. I loved the trams not because of their sound and motion, but I also was aware that they were a living remnant of a bygone age. A few of the trams were some 40 years old. I can still still feel my sadness when we traveled by coach to a South Coast resort on July 6th of 1952 through South London until only a few hours after the last trams had run. In areas where I was accustomed to seeing the trams, the streets were empty with only the rails to show where they had once been. And then finally, using his trusty BB gun to help him return to Earth, 48-year-old gas station owner Kent Couch realized his boyhood dream Saturday of flying a lawn chair rigged with helium-filled party balloons more than 200 miles across the Oregon high desert to land in a farm field in Idaho. Couch created this sensation in the tiny farming community of Cambridge, Idaho, where he touched down safely in an empty pasture after lifting off from Bend, Oregon. 
and was soon greeted by dozens of people who gave him drinks of water, local plumber, Mike Hutt said. My wife works at the city market, said Hutt. She called and said, the balloon guy in the chair just flew by the market. If you look out the door, you can see him. We go outside to look, and lo and behold, there he is. Sandy Barton, 58, who has lived her whole life in this town of about 300, said she and her brother-in-law were the first ones to reach Couch and shook his hand. Not much happens in Cambridge, she said, adding about half the town turned out. He came right over our pea field, she said. She gave Couch some of his balloons to local children. Couch had covered about 235 miles in about nine hours after lifting off with drawn from his gas station, riding in green lawn chair rigged with a rainbow array of more than 150 giant party balloons. If I had the time and money and people, I'd do this every weekend, Couch said before getting into the chair. Things just look different from up here. You're moving so slowly. The best thing is the peace, the serenity. Couch's wife Susan said he was crazy, but she wanted to go with him next time. It's never been a dull moment since I married him, she said. This is Couch's third balloon flight. In 2006, Couch had a parachute out after popping too many balloons, and last year he flew 193 miles to the sagebrush of northeastern Oregon, short of his goal. I'm not stopping until I get out of state, he said. To that end, he ordered more balloons. Each balloon gives four pounds of lift. The chair was about 400 pounds, and Couch in his parachute 200 more. He carried a Red Rider BB gun to blow and a blowgun equipped with steel darts to shoot down the balloons. He also had a pole with a hook for pulling in balloons, a parachute in case anything went wrong, and a handheld global positioning system with an altimeter, a satellite phone, and two GPS tracking devices, one for him, the other for the chair, which got away in the wind as he landed last year. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Meteor Shower at ReporterHerald.com The End of the Line for Trams in London at News.BBC.CO.UK And finally, Armchair Balloon Flight at Spokesman.com The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.